0: Welcome to the Church 214 Podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Yeah, um, like Holly said, back to life. How about this snow? Beautiful. Um, Yeah, we were hoping... For As you can even see by like the, the graphic, it's a beautiful spring, Easter colors, all that. Uh, that didn't work out today, which is okay. Um, I was thinking, uh, this series I think was even kind of my idea. I was like, how perfect would it be in the spring to do a Back to Life series? You have the birds chirping and the grass growing and the flowers coming back and uh, like bears coming out of hibernation and everything that happens. With spring, I don't is that, I guess in Canada probably that happens, is that right, Chris? Bears out of hibernation? Um, So the timing didn't work out, now the bears are going back into hibernation, apparently. Um, But that was the plan, that didn't work out today, that's okay. Let me pray before we jump into anything. Uh, Jesus, we need you today. Every day, God, we are completely lost without you, but with you Uh, We have a hope and a purpose, and God, I pray that you would speak through me today on this stage this morning. I admit that I am woefully underqualified and under-equipped to do what you would have me do today, but I am 100% reliant on you to do that for me, and so as we enter into this back-to-life, series, uh, I pray that you would bring dead things to life, and I pray that you would resurrect hope that might be lost, and you would bring peace to people who are in the midst of pain, and you would really just give us whatever we need this morning, God. Uh, Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Uh, We pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm excited to be back up here. It's been a while since I've preached. I think it was September the last time that I preached, and there have been here it changes in our life. Since September, we had a baby. Uh, January 20 is my. He's what? He is a chunk. He's a big boy. Yeah, he's uh, in six-month clothing. I think for a three-month old. So that's a big boy, just like his father. Uh, and so he was born January 22nd, that was an event, um, and any birth is, not just fosters, but Jets was too, and I'm sure any birth is an event, it's a process, nine long months of Lauren being pregnant, uh, hours and hours of labor, such a long and grueling and uh, difficult time for me. I don't know what it was like for Lauren. <laughs> But I'm sure I hear it was very similar for Lauren, just long process. Um, but then the, finally the baby is here, and we celebrate, and we get to see Foster for the first time, um, and this is the baby that we've waited so long for, and they take him, and they hand him to Lauren, and we get to spend time with him for the first time. Uh, it's just this sweet, emotional time where the mother is spending time with the child, and then... They take the child away and they do whatever they're doing to Lauren, and I'm a single parent again. And I, it's just me and a 15 minute old baby that I don't have what it takes to give him the one thing that he wants in life. Um, but uh, Lauren was of no help during that portion of the birth. But outside of that time, she did amazing and she is unbelievable. And I love her dearly. And I'm getting the look that I should move on. Uh, The reason I tell you this is because we're in a series called Back to Life. And while Foster wasn't coming back to life, he was coming to life. Obviously, he was alive in the womb. Um, But he was experiencing, in that moment, he experienced life outside of the womb for the very first time. And for me, seeing a human take its first breath, gasp for the first time, and cry for the first time, and breathe outside of, I think babies in the womb get their oxygen from the blood. Is that right, Isaac? Uh, Yeah. Um, So they're not, they're obviously not breathing air in there, um, but I got to see God breathe the breath of life into my son for the very first time, and uh, that was an amazing thing. I looked it up, and Almost seven hundred million breaths is how many breaths we will take as an average human in our lifetime, and I got to um, I got to see God give foster his first breath, and that was a pretty cool thing in one moment God breathed that life to him, and when before he was totally dependent on his mother, now he is the visual of him taking his first breath that I will never get out of my head for a lot of reasons. Uh, that, it, it <laughs> sorry, digging a hole here, digging a hole, here we go. Um, but anyway, that that first breath, that's what I picture as I picture back to life, you know, that like someone who has been given CPR, a drowning victim or whatever, who's gasping for that first breath that they receive or whatever. Um, and so that's kind of what I picture, and obviously next week we're going to, uh, spoiler alert, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter and him coming back to life and um, just that that visual of coming back to life. Yeah, that's the greatest back-to-life story of them all is Jesus overcoming death. Death is defeated and our king is alive. And so that's kind of a big precursor to the back-to-life series. It's going to be a short one. It's just this week and next week. Uh, But I get to kick it off, and as I was thinking of what we should talk about as we are going into this Back to Life series, I pictured, you know, I I started naturally, I think, thinking of the people that Jesus had resurrected. And so uh, there was a widow's son in Luke 7. Jesus was coming into a town called Nain, and as he was going into the town, there was a funeral procession coming out, and he noticed in this coffin a boy, and it was a widow's only son. And uh, he saw that boy in there, and he saw the widow, and uh, he touched the coffin, and the boy came back to life. He had compassion on him, and God breathed the breath of life into him. And that day, oh well, the Bible says the, the crowd praised God after that. And so he turned a funeral into a worship service that day. And that's what I want my funeral to be, is a worship service. Uh, And then there's Jairus' daughter. I actually spoke on this in a little more depth in our Sleeper Cell series. But um, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd there. And all of a sudden, Jairus, who's a synagogue leader, comes to Jesus and begs Jesus to heal his dying 12-year-old daughter. And uh, Jesus begins to follow Jairus back to his house. But on the way back, a member of Jairus' household comes and tells him it's too late. Your daughter is already dead. Um, And right then, obviously, at the news of his daughter's death, Jairus breaks down and starts weeping. But Jesus responds with words of hope. And then Jesus gets to the house and brings this 12-year-old girl back to life. And so in the most horrible moment of Jairus' life, Jesus responds with words of hope in that instance. Uh, And then finally, I thought of Lazarus. Usually, if you think of Back to Life, I think Lazarus comes to mind often. Uh, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. He died, and Jesus resurrected him. But uh, this is in the Bible where Jesus clearly says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And so Jesus firmly and boldly plants a flag and says, death cannot stop me. This isn't going to stop me. Ain't no grave gonna hold me down. I like that song last week, um, and so those three were kind of the back to life stories that came to mind immediately or came to mind first. But there's actually a bunch more resurrections in the Bible that I didn't even think of or maybe I didn't even know about. Um, Peter did one. Paul did one. Elijah and Elisha they had a couple. Um, and then when Jesus died, there was an earthquake, and that earthquake shook the ground and split open graves, and there were some of Jesus's followers and um, different saints that were raised to life during that time. And so there are actually more instances of resurrection or more instances of back to life um, than immediately came to mind in, in my head. Um, but uh, there's one in particular that's a little different, that I want to focus on today. And so I want you to open up your Bibles, if you would, or if you have them, I think it's going to be on the screen, uh, to Ezekiel 37. And this chapter is about a vision that the prophet Ezekiel has, where he is in the middle of this valley, and it's full of dry bones. And so um, as I read this, I kind of picture that elephant graveyard from the Lion King. I don't know if anyone remembers that part. It's just, it's like gray and dusty and dark, and scary, and so that's kind of what I picture. Um, I have a vague memory of that because I used to fast forward through that part because it was kind of scary, uh, but that's, that's what I picture. So let me read Ezekiel 37. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out, of the, out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. An entire valley of dry bones, completely dead, completely hopeless, no chance of resurrection, and just like that, God breathes the breath of life into them, and they come back to life. A vast army. And here's the thing that I want you to take away from today, take away from that. Each one of us have a lot more in common with those dry bones than we might realize. Uh, What Ezekiel saw in that valley is also true of our hearts. It's what's true of our souls, dark and hopeless and filled with pain and heartache, just dry, dusty bones. And without God breathing life into us, we don't have a purpose and we don't have a hope. But just like these bones, we aren't really good for much. But what God did in that valley, he can also do in your heart. He breathes life back into those bones, and he can breathe life right back into you and your situation. And so I don't know what kind of season you're in right now. I have no idea what kind of valley you are in right now. I know and I think there are people in this room whose marriages are falling apart. There are people in here who can't control their kids. I'm one of them. Um, some of you may have lost loved ones or are overwhelmed with grief, and maybe it's a tough job situation or financial struggles or not being able to get pregnant or a miscarriage, or maybe you can't even find a husband or a wife, and that's what is leaving a hole in your heart, that's your valley. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, the reality of that pain, the reality of your pain, and your darkness, and your struggle that you're experiencing is there, and it's real, and you really are hurting, and you really are experiencing heartache, and you really are experiencing pain, like life-altering, crippling pain that you're dealing with daily. And I think these bones may be how you're feeling, dry, and hopeless, and hurting. And uh, maybe for some of you, you've completely turned your back on God. That's what the Israelites did in this. Verse 11, as we move on, says this. Uh, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. So hope bones represent the people of Israel at the time. They say our, the people of Israel at the time are are cut off. They feel cut off from God. They feel hopeless, and they have completely given up. But then as we move on, look how God responds. You, my people, will know that I am Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. You will live. If you're feeling dead right now, you will live. If you're feeling dry right now, you will live. If you're feeling like you can't make it through another day, you will live. But you will only live when God's spirit is in you. It's only when God takes the breath of life and breathes it into you or your situation or your trouble or your mess or your valley. That is when the life will come. If you're trying to walk through life right now without the spirit of God, you're not truly living. If you're trying to do things on your own or if you're trying to make it through the messiness of your life under your own power, then you will remain a pile of dry bones. Uh, It's only when you allow the Spirit of God to enter you and you embrace what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's when you put him at the center of your life. It's when you put him at the center of whatever mess you're in the midst of. That's when Jesus can bring things back to life. What God did in that valley wasn't just for those bones. It is for us. It's for us in this room. Let God breathe that life into you. What God did in the valley is for your marriage. What God did in the valley is for your family. It's for the grief you're feeling. It's for the shame you're feeling. It's for the guilt or the depression or the addiction you're feeling. God is waiting to breathe life into you and into whatever it is you're going through. And his desire is to bring it back to life. We have a uh, fiddle fig in our house. It's like a, it's a type of plant. There's a picture of it on the screen. Um, And so one day, a few months ago, I came home from work and Lauren uh, was like, I got something. And I was like, okay, great. Usually when she says I got something, it's um, like she got a new throw pillow or something for Jet, like an outfit for Jet or something. And so I was like, okay, you got something great. Is it a new blouse? And she was like, first she would make fun of me for calling it a blouse. (laughs) Then she was like, no, it's a fiddle fig. And obviously I'm like, okay, what's a fiddle fig? And it's a plant. And apparently fiddle figs are pretty special plants. And they need sunlight and they need water like all plants. But apparently they also dust them. They're very uh, needy plants. And so uh, we didn't do that. I don't think we ever named our fiddle fig, but uh, which maybe explains this next part. It started dying. Um, we started seeing that leaves were turning brownish. Yeah. The leaves were turning brown, and they started falling off. And they, they slowly, like one day, uh, one leaf fell off. And then the next day, the next leaf fell off. And then slowly over time, we were like, well, that is clearly a diseased branch, so we cut that off. And then it um, kind of did this V thing in the middle, so we cut the whole half off. And then one day, I was just like, I'm getting the lopper, and I cut that sucker down to a stick. And that's what it is now. It's a stick. Um, it's not even, it's more of like modern art, really. It's just something, it represents something I don't know what, but if you look closely at this picture, and if we zoom in, here's what is cool. One day we saw new growth, like a little tiny leaf started sprouting, and so in order to bring this tree back to life, we had to cut it all the way down. We cut off every unhealthy limb, every sick leaf, every broken branch, we cut it all the way down. To nothing. And you might not like it, and you might not wish it was happening to you, but maybe this is what God is doing in your life right now. God is bringing you through a season of pruning. And He um, might be bringing you through a valley of dry bones so that He can bring you back to life, back to real life, a life that is fully 100% dependent on Jesus. Because only He can give you life. That lasts forever. Only He can give you hope that lasts forever. Only He can give you joy in the midst of pain or purpose and peace in spite of your circumstances. Uh, Only He can breathe that life back into a valley of dry bones. And so my question for you is this. What is it in your life right now that needs life breathed back into it? Is there something that God is tearing down that you are waiting for to be breathed back into. Um, and I can think of several in my own life, and I can tell that it's, when I think of it this way, I know that God is tearing those things down so that he can build me back up and so that he can breathe life into me, just like that poor fiddle fig. <laughs> also, Not Pictured is about a day or two later where Jet plucked that <laughs> cute little thing off. I <laughs> He sat in the corner, and he smiled, and he's like, I took the leaf off the tree. It's dead now. That ruins my analogy. It's coming back to life. It is coming back to life. We're confident. Um, Some of you might kind of be thinking, well, that's, that's not me. I'm not going through a valley right now. There's not really anything in my life that either God is tearing down or that God is pruning or that... Um, i'm i 'm dealing with, and so to you, my question is maybe a little different. My question is about this story of the valley of dry bones god breathing life into the dead. Um, how does this story change you? Maybe you have totally committed your life to christ and you're you're saying every part of my life is god 's. How does that change you? How does the fact that God breathed life into a valley of dry bones. What does that mean for you? I want you to picture if I had just some chicken bones up here. Let's say I went to Buffalo Wild Wings on the way. I ate a six-piece traditional Asian zing, and I ate them all, and I brought them in the to-go thing, and I just emptied the dry bones here, and I'm standing on this stage. I want you to picture that. So Asian zing. First of all, I wouldn't be on stage. I'd be back in the bathroom because Asian zing is a natural laxative. Everyone knows that. But let's just picture the bones here, and then all of a sudden, I prophesy over them, and I say, come to life. And suddenly, flesh starts appearing on the bones, and suddenly, uh, tendons appear, and uh, all of a sudden, feathers appear. And without, uh, like, with just me speaking into them, and God breathing the breath of life into him, suddenly there's chickens up here on stage from bones to chickens balking around up here or whatever chickens do. Imagine if that actually happened. Your life would never be the same. You, you would go and you would be like, church today insane like the best church service ever ryan went to b-dubs he got a six piece he brought the chicken bones and there were chickens on stage actually living it would be the most amazing thing that you've ever seen you would go out and you would tell everyone and it, it it was incredible it was amazing i've never seen anything like it and that's what people should say when they see you when they look at you you were an absolute mess. You had no hope. You had no purpose. You had no future. You used to be addicted. You used to be lost. You, you were destined. Even if you weren't in this dramatic lost story, prodigal son type thing, God stepped into your life. He took you off a path that was headlong for disaster, and he put you on a path that is filled with hope and joy and peace and life. He brought you back to life. That is amazing. That's unbelievable. And so people should look at you and they should say, what happened to you? How did that happen? How did you do this? You used to be a mess and now look at you. You look like Jesus. What happened? How did you do that? My question is, does your life look like this? If you profess to be a follower of Jesus, are people looking at you and saying, what has gotten into you why are you so different from everyone else why are you so patient why are you so kind why are you so generous why are you so loving why are you so forgiving there's no explanation for something like that and if your life really does look like that if you are patient and if you are kind and if you are all these things and if people are looking at you and saying there's something different about you because I know those people are in this room. I know those people exist, and it's many of us. But the reality is is there's only one explanation for it. I died. (laughs) I died to myself. I gave up my own desires. I gave up my own way. I gave up all of my selfish ambition, and I handed it all to Jesus. Because in order for Jesus to bring you back to life, you had to die first. You had to die to yourself. You can't come back to life if you didn't die to yourself first. You have to give up everything to follow Jesus. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and let's go. This isn't going to be easy. You have to count the cost. If you're going to follow Jesus, you might lose things. When, we, when Jesus says count the cost, he's saying there's going to be a cost to following me. You're going to lose some things. You might lose friendships. You could lose a job. You could lose some income. You are, if you are truly going to die to yourself, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. And then Jesus gets even more crazy a little bit. He says, uh, after Jesus says, says that you must take up your cross daily and follow me, he's speaking to a large crowd, and this is what Jesus Christ says. Luke 15 says this, large crowd, so he's, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So Jesus, speaking to this large crowd, that's what he leads with, is hate your brother and sister, uh, wife and kids, your father and mother, even your own life. That's what he leads with. Against so If I'm speaking to a large crowd, I don't know if that's what I'm going to lead with. <laughs> I, I would lead with this birth story or something like that. Some Actually, I prayed first. I did it right. I prayed first. And then I talked about the birth story and jokes about Okay. Uh, anyway, I would not lead with, you have to hate your father and mother and wife and kids. Uh, that's that's a dramatic thing. You must hate your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, even your own life. And so Jesus is saying, you have to love me so much that by comparison, it seems like you hate everything else. Jesus isn't telling us to hate our own life. He's not telling us to hate our own kids and our our wife and our children. In fact, I think he's pretty clear about that we're supposed to love those things and how to love those things. But he's saying that we need to love him that much more. I love my wife dearly. And I hope she loves me back after today. I think she does. But I got to love Jesus more. I love my kids so much, but I have to love Jesus more. I love this church a lot, but I have to love Jesus more. If we get caught up as a church in trying to have the best music or the nicest logo or the best social media, but we don't love Jesus, we're wasting our time. We're moving into a new building, and I am pumped about that. I'm so excited. I'm telling everyone I love this church, and I can't wait to see where we go in the future, but if we spend all kinds of money on making this building amazing, and we aren't madly in love with Jesus, then we are wasting our time. It's totally pointless. That space is going to be an amazing space, and I think it's going to help us love people more. It's going to help us reach more people, but it's not going to help us love Jesus more, I don't think, and so that starts here. That is in our hearts. And loving Jesus like crazy is what got this church to where it is. And it's not gonna go further if we stop loving Jesus and start focusing on making a building cool or putting a, uh, putting nice speakers in or anything like that. Following him is what got us here. Following him is what is gonna help us make the impact that we want and reach more and more people. It's not a building that's gonna do that. Buildings are great strategy, organization, technology, social media, uh, all those things are awesome. But if we lose sight of Jesus, we are doing it all for nothing. Um, We can't be glued to a building. We can't be glued to a mission. We can't be glued to anything but Jesus. We have to be glued to Jesus alone. I actually have the honor of writing our strategic plan for Youth for Christ, which is a really, really big honor for me, and it's a cool thing. It's a major undertaking that will shape our organization for years and years to come, and it's filled with goals and supporting goals and objectives and critical tasks. Um, It's going to change the way we hire people. It's going to change the way we change everything about our organization Um, And there are these eight huge goals, and then there's 21 objectives under each one of those, and then there's countless critical tasks under each one of those objectives. But as I write it, the very first goal is fall more in love with Jesus. We want to make our culture one that every staff person, every ministry leader, every board member, every person involved is completely in love with Jesus. That has to be our number one goal. Fall more in love with Jesus. That has to be the goal of this church. Fall more in love with Jesus. When I was a child, I raced dirt bikes, which was cool. Um, You were probably wondering how I got so cool. It's because when I was five years old, I was riding motorcycles. Uh, My uncle was a motorcycle racer, though. And so when I was really young, I would go over to his house, and he had all these trophies he had um just like he had these 2 6 foot tall trophies that were way taller than me when i was a kid um and then just a garage full of trophies and full of dirt bikes and dirt bike parts it was like every kid's dream every boy's dream at least um and we would go to these tracks and me and my brothers would race and um uh, we would race against a bunch of other kids on these little 50 cc mini bikes dirt bikes um uh, motocross style, Um, but to practice for that, we would also go to my uncle's friend's backyard. He had a track in his backyard, and so we would go around, and we would ride motorcycles there all the time, and in his backyard, there was a big barn, and this barn um, was kind of what the track was built around, I guess, and one time as I was riding, I got pretty good, and I, I would go around there pretty fast for the relatively small space it was. But one time I was going around the corner of this barn or corner of the track and I clipped my foot peg on it and I went flying over the handlebars and I kind of like face planted slash shoulder planted and slid on my shoulder for like 10 feet. And I knew I was hurt because I felt (laughs) it. And I I looked and I could already see like through my motorcycle jersey there was some blood kind of coming through. And it was also dirty. Obviously, I fell in the dirt. My shoulder was a mess, and I was all scraped up and bloody, and everything like that. So my dad came over and washed me up and put rubbing alcohol on it to up, which burns very bad. Um, And then, but then as it it hurt so bad, and it kind of scared me, where I didn't want to take the bandage off. I was I was scared to take that off. Um, and finally, after about a week, he was like, you got to take that Band-Aid off. It, it's going to hurt. It's, it could be ugly under there, but we got to see what's going on under there. And uh, I remember looking at it and tore it off, and I could see, you know, it was, it was healing some. Um, but here's what I remember noticing is there was still dirt kind of embedded in my skin that was like healing with the wound. It wasn't a scab, it was dirt from the fall. I still, eight days later, I still had dirt from the fall. We all have dirt from the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, the fall of man happened a long time ago, but when Adam and Eve sinned, it affected all of humanity, every one of us in this room. The second sin entered the world, a perfect world, Turned into a fallen world, one without hope, one without a future, just a world of dry bones. We all have dirt from the fall, and some of that dirt manifests itself in broken marriages. Some of that dirt manifests itself in addiction or depression. Some of that dirt is lust or greed or envy. Some of that dirt we bring on ourselves some of it other people put on us it can be abuse or it can be cancer or it can be anger problems or drinking problems or financial problems or relationship problems it can be one of a hundred thousand different things but we all have dirt from the fall every one of us are broken every one of us are sinful every one of us are damaged and in reality we're just a pile just like those dry bones we were just waiting for breath to be breathed into us. And when Jesus came, everything changed. Everything changed. He offered a way to get the dirt off. His death on the cross, the dirt that so easily messes us up, the shame, the pride, the guilt, the dirt that we cannot get away from, Jesus offers us a cure for that dirt. And he's saying, let me take it from you. I want it. I, I, It's not something he's shying away from. He says, it's not yours to deal with anymore. I nailed it to the cross. It's done. And I don't know what it is, what that dirt is in your life today, the dirt from the fall, the dirt from the sin, the dirt from this broken, fallen world that we live in. I don't know what that dirt is that's on you, that's covering you, that's stuck in you. But Jesus is offering you hope to get it off. You can be clean, you can be forgiven, you can be free if you simply give it to Jesus. And Jesus will take you, dry, dusty, dirty old bones, and he'll breathe life into you. He can bring you a fallen, troubled, desperate soul. He can bring you back to life. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that you would breathe life into us. I pray, God, that we would not be satisfied with good music or good social media. We wouldn't be satisfied with a hot wife or a nice sports car or um, a hefty bank account. God, we don't want to be satisfied by anything except your spirit in us. We want to love others well. We want to serve others well. We want to do what you are calling us to do, God. Whatever that is, we want to take a step into that. Lord, we desperately, desperately need you for that. We don't have a chance without you, but with you, we have every chance in the world. And so, Lord, for anyone in this room today who is hurting, who is broken, who is a pile of dry bones, I pray your breath to breathe into them. I pray that they would trust you in whatever they're dealing with. I pray that for myself, God. I need you desperately. I pray that you would breathe life into me where I am dry and where I'm broken. God, we need your presence today. Help us to love you and praise you and worship you in all that we do. Amen.